Hey, oh, this is Thomas with Believe in the Run. <laughs> this is Robbie with Believe in the Run. And this is Megan with Believe in the Run. And we got tons of energy today. Do you know why we're really excited? We have a new sponsor for this week's podcast, which is Feature Socks, and that's spelled F E E T U R E S. Robbie, why are socks important? Because uh, you have to wear them while running, or you should. But features, especially, uh, we've been wearing them forever, and they're one of our favorite sock companies. So we're kind of stoked to be partnering with them. They have like all kinds of different socks, five inch socks, no show tabs, tab socks, anything you need. Merino yeah. socks, best fabric ever. I actually like the synthetic better than the merino. Really? But yeah, I'm weird yeah. that way. Okay. But at least it's not cotton. And the reason why you want to wear good socks when you're running, obviously, is you avoid getting blisters. You avoid getting just smelly shoes. Mm -hmm. A lot of benefits that come from it. And if you're not wearing the right socks, if you're wearing cotton socks, uh, you're probably like from Elf. What's, what are they called, Megan? Cotton-headed ninny muggins. Yeah, yep. you're a cotton-headed ninny muggins <laughs> if you're wearing cotton socks. But uh, it, just because... Cotton-footed ninny yeah, muggins. I mean, you want a good experience. You're spending a lot of money on these running shoes. You might as well tuck your feet into something nice. Yeah. As they go into the shoe. So anyways, uh, if you want to save 10% on features, head over to features.com and use the code BELIEVE10 at checkout and uh, save some money on some sweet socks for fall marathon season. Tell them Robbie sent you. All right, real quick. Tom, <laughs> I'm blaming this on Thomas. It's fully my fault, but my week was thrown way off course because you remember this is like within the last week. Uh, yeah, it's. It's almost a week old. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, someone, one of our friends, Gavin, bought us a nice bottle of tequila for our uh, office opening party. Mm -hmm. And so he came over after work one day last week and we got into that. We drank like half a bottle in like an hour. <laughs> yes. And then we went and got tacos and drank more tequila at the restaurant mm -hmm. and had about two or three beers. Yeah. It was, I hadn't been that tuned up in a while. Which was amazing because, like, yeah, I didn't sleep great, but I got up and ran seven miles the next day. I didn't come in. <laughs> Robbie, Robbie, what what was you, like, you couldn't even eat anything until two o'clock? Yeah, it was one of those ones. I oh. still worked. I just, it was one of those ones that just progressively got worse throughout the morning. I was like, oh, this is not fun. Oh, but anyways, on the way home, I helped somebody change a car tire. Oh, I forgot about <laughs> this, yeah. And because I wasn't quite sober, I... I was trying to kick this car tire off because it was stuck, and I apparently just missed and kicked the car as hard as I could with my leg. <laughs> and uh, I wish there was video of this so bad, <laughs> like so I could understand what you, you know when you're you're icing your leg when you're like hammered that you know it's going to be bad the next day. Yeah, oh, I mean yeah. if you know how to apply medical techniques, yeah, when you're hammered. So I haven't. I didn't. I had to take like five days off of running because I just I could barely walk on it. <laughs> It's still, there's like a bunch of fluid in my leg. It's gross. Hmm. But, but, I'm, you, but I'm back. You ran today. Yeah, and yesterday. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, We're, we're here. We're back. We're I, ready. I'm still in awe of Megan's Saturday run. Yeah, let's like, talk about that. You crushed that. a 20 mile run, average pace. My, my run wasn't that great at all. Oh, it wasn't? No. Which one was I thinking about where you did like a 630 pace for like I ridiculous in the heat? Oh, it was just every one of them. Yeah, all of them. Was. No, my, my Saturday run uh, was inspired by Molly Seidel to go out there and just have fun because she's like such a lighthearted, fun person. And so went out running with the Faster Bastards. We stopped several times, took photos, like we're just being ridiculous. I mean, it's crazy. She is now, I mean, we'll get into this in a little bit, but she's like the face of... Uh, 
American running right now, I think. Definitely. Yeah. But um, yeah, my running is uh, kind of cruise control. I did my first real workout since, uh, I guess, York. Yeah, you you were all like, oh, I'm going to do so badly, poorly, terribly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't. Here's the thing. I don't think at the we're going to Falmouth on uh, this weekend to run the Falmouth uh, road Ooh. race for ASICS Falmouth road race. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I ran in March. I did the half marathon and my pace was around 719 for 13.1. Uh, and I'm like, there's no way for seven miles I think I can hold that right now. But we'll see. What? Are you serious? I'm kind of serious. Dude, we're doing 719. All right. <laughs> like, I'll make it happen. All right. All right. My most exciting thing is I know that we get to be in the VIP section. Yeah. So, and Molly's going to be there. Scott we're not, Bobble's going to be we're there. We're not going to know because we're all wearing masks. Emma Jane. Thumbs down. Yeah. Emma Emma. Emma it's Bates. just Emma Bates. So yeah, don't throw in her middle name. Stop right. saying your Instagram handle. <laughs> That's how it works. Um, Lindsay Flanagan. Lindsay Flanagan. Bunch of A6 athletes. Oh, our guy that won the, the bridge race, uh, Clayton Young. Mm -hmm. Oh, and Noah Drotty's going to be there. Robbie's spirit animal. I Noah think Drotty. Craig Angles is, he's running the the mustache mile and fall yeah, the oh, day okay. before. So yeah, I'm assuming he's running it. Yeah. If Robbie gets to take a picture with both Craig Angles and Noah Drotty, I'm just quitting this career. Yeah. I think it's that over. he will turn into a puddle. Yeah. So, I'm done. Let's hope that happens. <laughs> my number one goal is I to know. get a photo with Molly Seidel. And the only reason I'm going to bring my phone to the race, I'll wear a flip belt or something <laughs> so that I can take your picture. When, if you, you think there. she's going to bring her bronze medal because I would wear that around for like the next month. She should wherever wear it I for go. the whole race. You know, it would be funny if like she just held it up because she's running with her sister. And I don't think they're going to be running. They're like, starting at the back and just yeah. trying to she, pass people. She should just uh, be holding it and put it in your face when she passes you. Like, <laughs> boom, boom. Kiss the ring. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, that would be pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, I would love to see it, but I don't know. Yeah. We probably, who knows, we may not even get a glimpse of her. Yeah, she could just be out. and We might not get a glimpse of anyone. Yeah. We'll see Jared just hanging out by ourselves and Widefoot Jared. Yeah, well, we are also going to the Red Sox-Orioles game. Friday night. Is that Friday? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you know what's awesome about that? Like, here we are in Boston. We're from Baltimore. We get to watch the Orioles lose in a different ballpark. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty exciting. And might get in a fight with someone, too. I'm going to wear an Oriole hat. Yeah. Not even because I'm a fan, just to provoke people. <laughs> I thought of I was trying to figure that out if I should wear my O's hat, but it's probably disrespectful to them to wear to like A6 maybe. Why? Mac is from New York. I don't know. He's I'm just worried. Just wear all A6 gear. I feel like it's gonna come back on me from instigating Red Sox fans when they came to Camden Yards. <laughs> all right, maybe I'll go. Oh no, go for neutral. it. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Yeah, but that we're pretty excited about that. Other stuff we're excited about, too, is we just found out that we're going to be the North American premiere for the Kipchoge movie, Robbie. How do you feel about that? Uh, I feel amazing. What's it called? The Last Milestone. The Last Milestone. Kipchoge, colon, The Last Milestone. Yeah. When it is I don't feel like it's The colon. Last Milestone, though. I think there's some other milestones he could go for. I don't think anybody's going to go for much under two-hour marathon. Like, yeah, you might go faster, but that's a milestone. A milestone is a mark. But... Uh, he says no human is limited, so there's Valid. endless milestones. So I guess the next milestone would be a 130 marathon. Yeah, let's make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> you think it could happen? I don't think that could happen. 
I don't care what kind I of always, shoe. I always, I do Rollers, always wonder that. I wonder maybe if someone had rollerblades. I do always wonder, like, what is the actual limit? Well, they thought it was two hours. Yeah. But what's the actual limit? One fifty. There has one, to be a one fifty nine. Robbie, no human is limited. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously though. No, a mechanic like a rock can only fall at a certain. Uh, He's you know talking, talking physics. Yeah, now. physics. <laughs> like, you know, there's a certain the body. Like obviously, like a three minute pace per mile will never happen. Anyways, so let's talk about this premiere could be because we're hosting it. Yeah, it's gonna, in Baltimore. In Baltimore, the Charles Theater. August 23rd, so mark your calendar. It's a Monday night. Seven so to I know nine. you ain't got nothing going on. Yeah. And uh, I just, like, I've gone to, like, some of those trail runner uh, films. And it's just fun to go watch a film about running with a shit ton of runners. And yeah. so we're going to pack that theater with 235. It's got 235 seats. We're going to mm-hmm. pack it up. And we're all going to going to experience the film together, which and I think is the coolest thing ever. We're going to have an RSVP, so we'll have that up before the end of the week. And it's free, but it's also first come, first serve. So you want to RSVP and then show up early to make sure you get in. Yep. Yeah. And we are just pumped. Like, I, I can't believe that we get this opportunity, but it's going to be awesome. To see the goat on the big screen. Yeah, like a giant. Iliad Do you think picture. you're gonna cry? I'm probably I'm gonna try. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna try to get emotionally involved in it, dude. I was I'm trying to remember if I cried when he broke the two hour marathon. I feel like it was. I think I did. I also think when Meb uh, won Boston, I think a well, little yeah. tear squirted out my eye. What about when Molly won this weekend? I was just so pumped for her. Like I I was more like elevated. Yeah, I think I got emotional, but it was more like excitement than like tears and then kipchoge okay my there's two parts to the to the chip kipchoge marathon in tokyo there's pre galen rupp annoying him <laughs> oh and yeah then post galen rupp annoying him i can't tell if he's annoying him or if he was like just saying hey do you want to get up here no here's he's annoying him and i'll tell you why okay did you see the olympic trials in 2016 when Meb? got really pissed off and he's like it's not the track you don't need to clip my heels uh, there's plenty of time you you're, don't sit on someone that tight he said that to galen yeah oh, okay. at the press conference he goes there's no need for it's not track you don't need to be sitting on someone's uh backside but and, almost the same thing happened where like you know how kipchoge turned around and was like here like just go if you want to go uh-huh, the uh-huh. same thing happened in 2016 with meb and Meb oh, was like okay. just go yeah because he what he does is i think he rides up on you so tight yeah that you you're it's gonna affect your gait. I, I, I mean he could clip his heel and fall. Yeah. And I will say when from the beginning of the race when Galen like kissed the fist, I was like, can can you look at like any more of it freaking He's so hard to like. <sighs> He's so hard to like. You know, I, I feel like there's a gentleman code in running, especially in the marathon, that doesn't exist in other sports, like in basketball, you taunt, you talk shit, you, you, you bump, you, you do all that stuff. In running, it's like, hey, I don't you have hate to follow that. rules. No, I, if I don't it's either. done. Pro- I think you can do it properly too. But I think that Galen is trying to figure out an advantage in some way, and maybe he's like, hey, people shit talk in basketball or shit talk and, yeah. and these things. Maybe I can get in someone's head, maybe, and get them out of their game. Well, but- he and he did. 
Like he was smirking when when Kipchoge turned around. Like he was thrilled that he did that. Well, He's like, I ruffled his feathers. Yeah, and they're Nike teammates. But um, it that then Kipchoge was like, you know what? I don't want to be around these yeah. people anymore. <laughs> and just I love just that. Took off. Yeah. I love that he doesn't even have to do anything. He's just like, I'm just gonna go faster <laughs> and do it incredibly easily. Well, yeah. did you see the pace chart? Yeah, yeah. everybody mind blowing, insane. Like he's going up, and everybody else just wow. Imagine how much faster he could have gone if he wanted to. Yeah. He knew he was a billion miles ahead of them. Here's what was insane to me is he at well, he's he's strategically racing that. Yeah. Right. For sure. The at the end, you know, when you watched the the other attempts at sub two, when he was done, he he was pretty much tapped out. Like he was Yeah, yeah. I didn't feel like he was tapped out at the end of this. Like I think no, I, he was he, hanging around the finish line, like yeah. hugging people, cheering people on. He didn't do a bend over and grab my no. knees. Like, oh, this was I actually hard. don't think he was tapped out in the 159 either. Because he when he, we were talking about it too, he's you know how fast he picked it up at the end. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was like a lot, picked it up a lot at the end. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I I can't think of something more beautiful to watch than Kipchoge's running. Like it's just, it's pretty. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's poetic. It's, I, I and it's, the the uh, silver and bronze. I mean, that was amazing too. Just yeah, the two friends, you know, yeah. pulling them up. Yeah, like that guy said his he had he was cramping in his hamstrings for like three k, um, and would have never happened if he right. wouldn't have done that. Yeah, I mean, amazing. I'd love to have. I know we're possibly getting the chance to talk to Elliot again. Um, I would love to have Molly on again and talk to her because I, I want to know if it like where there was psychological stuff going on as far as I feel like the Kenyans were doing stuff like spitting and kind of like bumping and, and stuff to kind of make it difficult for her to be there. And she kind of shot out to the side and then, yeah, that I, I, yeah, that's a good point. I, I do. I feel like they were like, "Who the hell is this woman? Like, what is she doing here still at like mile 20? And they were definitely working together against yeah. her. What do you think the whole thing was with her running to the other side of the road? I saw them. I saw them spitting and stuff like that. So I don't know if they were spitting and it was non intentional. Like they were taking their sips and spitting on the ground, mm-hmm. and Molly just happened to be there. But I feel like they were also uh, working together to you know set the pace and to work as yeah. a team and i feel like maybe they were bumping or you know uh doing stuff that made molly want more space but the other part of it was that i was curious about was you could just see like when they're pulling away molly hung in there and i think that would have been so tough the only thing i can think of that you'd be like i'm still in metal contention run as hard as i can but the other side of that is I've I've given this everything I've well, got. Well, did you look at her Strava when at like mile twenty they dropped the pace by like thirty seconds? Yeah, went from like five thirty to five or something like that, mm. and she hung she hung there. It's crazy. And and as soon as the what the the fourth place woman who just started walking, I can't remember her name. Oh, the Israeli. Yeah, that was like. I mean, that must have been another. That was when I was like, "Hey, hey I'm in it." Yeah, yeah. when that happened. I was like, she's got, she's got a depth. Like I thought, okay, it's going to be a dog fight. When that happened, I was like, oh, she's got a chance. This is yeah. it. And then they started showing the 
person in fourth place, I don't even remember who it was either, um, was like only 15 seconds behind her. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, okay, 15 seconds, is that far? I know. Yeah, <laughs> <Part laughs> so or, hard. You know, it's like hard to gauge like what that well, kind of distance she, is. The, there was a moment where she was closing in a little bit. She was like, went from eight seconds to like six seconds. And then, you know, obviously uh, they pulled ahead, but. And I was kind of hoping maybe Molly had that Sarah Hall kick at the finish right. where she would take second place. I would have lost my mind. I know that would have just uh, like er erupted. But, but it, was mean, also, it was amazing. It was so cool seeing like that her family was able to be sort of part of it. Like they were putting them on the screen so you could see their reaction to everything. Mm -hmm. Alephine obviously dropped out with hip troubles. Yeah. Um, Sally Kipiega was 17th. Yeah. Oh, um, she said it was really sweet. She said she hung in there because I think it, it's got to be so hard when you know you're out of a of a medal to just finish that race. Especially when it's 88 yeah. degrees out. <laughs> but on the flip side, it's the Olympics and you just ran yeah. the Olympics marathon. Like I, I think that would be enough motivation for me to stay in it. Is to well, be she, like, yeah, she mentioned like her family and all her supporters. And she's like, there's been so many people to get me here. How could I not at least finish this? Yeah. Which I mean, were, good for her. Were either of you surprised that Alephine had to drop out? Yeah, because her progression and her training looked really good here's the thing is i was talking to someone this weekend about it they don't the you never hear there that they have an injury before a race until race day because i think psychologically they don't want their competitors to know so she came mm. into it with a hip problem which none of us knew about yeah yeah i mean do you think a hip problem came because you need to push so hard to get yourself back into shape who knows yeah i mean obviously it could be it's yeah like, I, I, she was, but like up to the two weeks before, she was like she was all crushing, hitting yeah. all the marks. She was she was getting fit. She was doing really well. So it's I like, was what are you gonna do? Yeah. Hmm. Um, I mean, if we had a fourth person, it would have been sick to have Sarah Hall in it for sure. Yeah, I. It, it's weird with this year. That was the one thing that I thought was, you know, all the track stuff they redid you know, or not redid, but they had the, you know, track competition, you know, in a short time before the Olympics. But marathon, you don't have that luxury because yeah, it's like such a, a long window. Right. But I don't know, like, I mean, I'm glad that it worked out the way it did, especially for Molly, because who knows, mm, Yeah, you know, if, if Molly had had to redo, would, would she be able to compete? Well, not only that, but the extra year she got to train on another marathon and just build on what she already had. Yeah. So I think she needed that. How about three marathons? I know. That's yeah. it. I mean. One of them's. The Olympic. The Olympic trials and one of them's the Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> the one, one was like there. a tester. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I also wonder like, where's her, how much motivation do you have? Like, is she like pumped up to be like, I could win Chicago, I could win Boston, I could do, I would, I would do that so. stuff? Or is she like, is this like, I just got third place in the Olympics. Like, where do I go from here? Like, I wonder if she's even had time to digest like this as far as like goals, like, or do you just go, okay, now I'm a marathoner and I'm just going to try to do, I mean, she's so young too. She can really hit the majors. Yeah. How about it's Saucony F up with that one? <laughs> Like seriously though, yeah. endorphin no. Yeah, I mean that seems like such a like 
no brainer. I don't know. I don't. Are you? Do are they just dropping all the athletes? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't think they should have dropped Girardi. I think they, regardless of his performance, which he did a really good job at the marathon uh, project. Yeah. Um, regardless of that, he is iconic in just his personality and his personal branding. He's a rock and roll uh, guy with. You know, long hair, the huge, mustache, huge Twitter following, easily recognizable. Yeah, and you, why not have him on your team? And then Molly, clearly, that was not a good move, Saucony. Yeah. I, I wonder if somebody at Saucony is like trying to justify. Well, you know, it was a good idea because you know, whatever. But kudos to our guest today and their team over at Puma for picking up a real gem. Yeah, I mean, and great move with by Puma. But it is apropos that we are interviewing Todd Falker from Puma today. Yeah, the product line manager for Puma. Mm-hmm. So he's the guy who says, here's the shoes we need, and here's the briefs on them, and here's your objectives, and gives that to the team. Make it. And they, yeah, they design it and do all that stuff. All right, so first check-in. Sometimes you are worried about your performance or how you feel. And what you need to do is take a step back and maybe change the way you're looking at the way you're running, get a little perspective. I always check in with Steve Magnus and follow him on Instagram, and he has some wonderful tips, and that was one of them from him this week. So focus on changing your perspective about your running. That means taking the negative and turning it into a positive, what's going right about your run. We'll check in a little bit. So we are here with Todd Falker, who, what's your exact position over at Puma? Yeah, I'm a senior product line manager in the run train, BU, I'm focused 100% on performance running. All right. So that, just for people that, so they can understand what that really means, because I I think there's a lot of outside, if you're outside the industry, not everybody understands what a product line manager is and what the task is and what you're responsible for in the shoe lineup. So, of course, we're talking about Puma running. At Puma running, what does the product line manager, what is your main focus? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's Honestly, it's a little bit of everything. PLMs and product line managers are supposed to be, you know, kind of the hub of the entire product process. Um, we work really, really closely with design and development. And I think, to your point, everyone kind of knows what a shoe designer is and what they what they do. Um, and it's a, you know, it's a, it's a difficult task and um, definitely to, continuing to deliver a new style is a challenge for them. Um, but what we do as PLM is really set the strategic direction from the beginning, determine, you know, what models are going to be in the, in the product line, in the range, um, work with sales, merchandising, everyone kind of across the organization to get those inputs, right, on what, um, what we need to do from a pricing standpoint, from a performance feature standpoint. Um, and then, you know, we kind of kick off the process by doing our research and then writing a product brief. Um, so, you know, I, I really appreciate, you know, believe in the run and all the videos and everything you guys do. Um, you know, it, it's great for us to understand what's going on in the market. We also, um, as a PLM, you know, one of my number one focuses on, is on being the master of what, um, what the competition is doing as well. Um, because, you know, you have to know what they're doing in order to beat them, right? Yeah. Um, so we, we, uh, we give that to, you know, design and development. Um, design does a couple rounds and, and you know, really we work all together to get to what that final design wants to look like. Um, and then at that point we actually handed it off to development, which I would say is another kind of 
unsung hero in the process, um, the people that work specifically with Asia to, you know, make the strategy and make the, the, the pictures on um, the design actually come to life in 3Ds and, you know, material stitching, all that stuff together. Um, but, you know, PLM, again, we started, we kind of hold on to the middle. And then once um, we kind of finalize the product and what that actually is, then we work with merchandising, with sales, um, you know, so that they have all the information that they can, uh, they need to go show key accounts um, and all of our retailers. And sometimes we even, you know, have the pleasure of, uh, of, of meeting some of those retailers, which are uh, some of my favorite, you know, times are connecting with the people that are actually out there selling the product. But, uh, but PLM, we're, we're club, we get to do a lot of different things. Well, that's interesting. And it is a lot because even from the start, you know, you know, okay, we want a fast day shoe. We want a support shoe. We need a daily trainer. We need a max cushion and all the little buckets that, that, you know, each shoe company is going to try to find their slice of the market. And as a PLM, you're writing these briefs out for, for the layman. Like what is, what's in a brief? Like when, like we see, it's funny cause we were just talking about this, uh, recently with a shoe designer and we are saying by the time that we are reviewing the shoe, you're already making the two years down the road shoe. Like we'd love to think that our uh, input is is really driving, you know, change in the industry where it, yeah. it it may influence something that you might see a couple of years down the road. But for the most part, we are just there as a, as a function to say, hey, you know, this will make your running better or not. As a PLM, when yeah. you're writing that brief, what it, what is what goes into a brief? I think you hit on a lot of really interesting um, pieces. And so cost and schedule are certainly two pieces of it, right? Um, the entire design process takes about 18 months. And so you nailed it. If you're designing a shoe 12 months after it came out, you're essentially designing blind, right? You don't have feedback from that first one to make the next one. Um, but, you know, a brief in general is starts with, I would say, what the business objective is, right? Like, what do we want to accomplish? Um, where does this piece fit within the line? Um, and then the strategic direction. I mean, every single product has to have a reason to be. You walk into a retail store, the wall is, is full of shoes, right? Yeah. Like, so in order to get on the wall, you have to really um, give retailers a reason to be and consumers a reason why they would want to buy that product. And so um, focusing on those key differentiators is, you know, always, I would say, my number one focus. But, you know, the, the guts of the brief also are, are – as detailed as we as we want to be or not um you know it can be down to log shape it can be it often is stack heights but we certainly work with our 3d team on you know geometries um for instance when we are when you are using a plate you need a certain thickness of foam kind of surrounding that so there's sometimes we're like oh we want to do this and they're like well that's great but we can't actually build that um and then and then i would say like the, com the competitive analysis is a part of every brief as well there's a lot of great shoes in the industry. Um, so, you know, being aware of what's out there, but then how we can innovate and take our product to the next level and really separate ourselves is, uh, is the main goal. Yeah. How often do you look back at a brief that you did and say, yes, we nailed it. Or you say, oh my God, this is nothing like where we started. It could still be a great shoe, but you know, the, the process of what we're trying to bring to market either goes a different direction or it just is so good that you're like, wow, how are we going to top this? You use the word that I was going to say, which is process. The whole thing is a process. It pretty much is never what you started out <laughs> to be in some way, shape or form. But I think in general, like the, the burden is on the PLM, right? Like if we set the good direction, 
and and that's the way that we want to go and 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 we can stay consistent in that in that vein um if we set a good direction then we're true to it but the other thing is, is new information is always coming out new shoes are always coming out the marketplace is always changing you know covid happened right like all these things um influence and, and we need to stay flexible to to trend um you know puma being the brand that's forever faster that is our goal is to um, be at the forefront of, of trends. And, you know, that doesn't always mean like starting something new and crazy that no one's done, but it means like having the most up-to-date knowledge and making the most um, progressive and, and performance-based product. Yeah. Now we're seeing shoe, shoe lines do stuff like, yeah, Brooks BL line. You're seeing some other companies that have kind of like an experimental uh, component to, to their product. And I do feel like in the past, Puma did some crazy stuff that was innovative, but maybe wasn't as marketable to the public. Like maybe, you know, I forget the one that had the bands that like, you remember that one where it had like the X? I, I do that, that shoe that shall not be named. Okay. It, was, it was called Mobium. It was yeah. a, it was a cat. And, and yeah, you're right. It was an idea. And you see those shoes though. Like I know that other, other shoe companies have gone out and they try to experiment with something and bring it to market. And most of the time it's a reach because honestly, people find a shoe that they like and they, they're for, and we try to help with that with our reviews is get people out of their mold. But uh, most people, if they find, okay, I like say the Kimbar, I want a Kimbar one, the two, and they'll just go to their shop and three, four or five, and just continue to buy that line and be like, that's my shoe. So the <laughs> risk in doing something new or different is, you it's going to be harder to educate the public too and i i feel like um puma started off with the foss lineup which was a really solid line and then kind of got into the experimental stuff and kind of maybe faded out and then came back how do you get people to buy in at puma that you can still experiment and have fun when some of these things probably left a scar yeah, and I would encourage everyone to, um, you know, go back and listen to the previous Believe in the Run podcast with Erin Longin, um, our global director at Puma. I think she did a great job of kind of setting our overall strategy. One of the things that, you know, Erin led and, and that um, our entire team has been uh, kind of pushing in the direction of is really working closely with our innovation department. Um, you know, Puma is a big global brand. We have a fully functional innovation team based in Germany that, you know, PLM, I'm, I'm a little bit of everything and not necessarily an expert. One thing we have one guy there that's like the foam expert, one guy there that's the, you know, the innovative materials or 3D construction or like whatever it is. Um, and, and there's always these crazy innovative things, but if they're too far out or they don't fit, then it's going to feel like a one-off and not necessarily work. Right. And so that's one thing that, um, you know, Aaron and, and I have worked really closely with Roman and the innovation team to, um, to have the concepts and the cool new materials and instructions that are available, how do we make those like fit and work within the line of that we have? Um, and then from a strategic product direction, it's really been for Puma Performance running about two things, balancing consistency with innovation. Um, and I would say, you know, in 2021, we just kind of did our major um, relaunch in March, right? And I like to call that the last time that we're going to relaunch. <laughs> um, there you know, you mentioned Boss, you mentioned some other things um, that were, that were good shoes, but you know, there was, they didn't, they're not here now, right? Like they yeah. changed over time. And the, the, my favorite thing, and I hope we get to talk a little bit more about Nitro in a second, but you know, my favorite thing about our new line is it really sets us up to be consistent, um, to make products that people will love, 
and then not not mess them up, right? Like not change on velocity one to velocity two, and we're already thinking about velocity three. Deviate, working on some flight updates there as well. Um, but balancing the consistency of the models that people love um, with those new innovative pieces. And look, I'm I'm a runner myself. Um, don't mess with my favorite shoe, right? Like good ride, a good fit, a good feel. I want to be able to to rely on that. And you know, you should go to your retailer, but you know, I want to be able to just order online as well and say, I know what that shoe fits like. I know that size and get it. Um, and we did that, I think, in a really, really great way. You know, spring, summer 2021 with what we've launched. Um, I can't wait to 2022 because, as you know, innovations and those concepts, um, just, they just take more time, right? And at the very beginning of this process, we worked in line, but we also work on the advanced concepts team. Um, we have things that are going to blow everyone's mind for 2022. And I, uh, I, I can't wait to go into more detail, but you know, I know today's not the day for awesome. that. I think it's kind of when we talk about like changing a runner's shoe, it's, it's almost like you get used to a personality and it'd be like if your friend showed up and they're a totally different person and you're like, what, <laughs> who, who the hell are you? <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. well, that brings up an interesting question. Cause you talked about, you know, it is a German company, um, and you have a strong European uh, influence on, on the product. And here you are in your based out of Boston, right? And yep. you're, you're working on shoes here. How much autonomy do you have in developing product for the American market? Or is, or, or are you kind of like, how, how does that work working in a global company like that? Yeah, for sure. So, um, all of the performance products, uh, for running training, um, in basketball is actually done out of Boston. Um, so we are, I would say, fully, you know, Boston-based in regards to those things. Um, but then we do have the corporate partnerships. Um, and I, honestly, I don't look at it as a limiting factor at all. I look at it as one team and I look at it as, as additional resources, right? Like, if we can do things and make a product and design it, we certainly have full autonomy to do that. Um, so that, that's fantastic. Um, however, if there are things that are, like, you know, too advanced to take more time or we need more support, um, it's great to have other resources and other experts that you can lean on and rely on. Um, and we have, you know, regular, regular calls set up with, with all the inputs that we need. Um, yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, we all celebrate the wins together, right? Like we are one Puma, we are one fam. And, uh, and, you know, when we see Molly, you know, cross the finish line and one have success, we're all high-fiving and cheering uh, even across the pond from each other. That's interesting. Is, is there in my imagination, you know, I think, oh, well, a shoe that we like here in the States will translate to other places. And I'm finding from some of the other companies, especially the Asian market, there's a different preference in shoes. Are you finding that there's a different preference for trainers in Europe, the United States, and in Asia? For me personally, that was one of the biggest learning curves when I came to Puma. Um, the brand I was at before was, you know, probably 80% domestic and Puma is probably more like 80% international. So learning the, the regional differences, um, you know, were, were really something that I needed to get up to speed on at a, a big global company like Puma. You know, we're working with retailers all over the globe um, that are all the experts in their areas. There are some differences. The difficulty in some ways is kind of quantifying those and and building a shoe that can, you know, be a global shoe so everyone can have it because it's the best shoe. But then what, what you know, kind of customizations or what do the other pieces of it look like? Um, you know, we do have something uh, called the Regional Creation Center. So if, like, you know, Puma North America, PNA wants something, they can do a, a slight tweak on things. And, um, 
you know, we have a team all over the world that manages like the, the regional things. But in general, um, we, you know, we focused with our running reset on, a, on um, you know, a few key regions that we knew were the most important and the influential, um, heard all their concerns. And, you know, one specific example, actually, is originally we were just going to launch with three neutral shoes, um, keep it a little bit tight. And, you know, we heard from France and some other regions that stability and guidance was still um, a really relevant category. And so the Eternity Nitro was actually the fourth shoe that we started, um, but, you know, came out great and kind of rethought the way stability and didn't do a medial post. Um, and it's kind of working for people. But, you know, that's a, a perfect example of the process, right? Where, like you start with the process, um, a plan, and then you get more feedback and then you have to adjust. And that's, that's the job every day. So that's, that's actually interesting. So first off, I want to ask uh, two things. So is the American market, are we into softer shoes than the rest of the world? That's a great question. Um, I, I think, uh, as you know, as our creative director, Tom likes to say that the world is getting softer and the world is getting lighter. <laughs> um, you know, if you think about 50 or 80 years ago, the, the transition from, from PUs to when EDA midsoles came out, that was a whole paradigm shift. Um, you know, I believe, and I think we at Puma believe that the world is getting a little bit softer. And um, I don't think that that's a U.S. specific thing as what, at, at all. Um, I think that the thing was before, two softer foams weren't as responsive, right? So if you wanted to go fast, like all of my marathon PRs on the road are in, you know, the, the thinnest racing flat ever. Yeah. And you just are running the last six miles on completely dead legs and then being smashed for three to four weeks. Nowadays, these foams are that soft, but they're also, um, you know, have the rebound, right? And, light. and so being, what's that? And light. And light. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, now that the materials have advanced that far, you don't have to suffer in some of the way that others <laughs> used to. Um, and so, so I think that that's been one of the reasons why there has been that trend, but things, trends come and go a little bit, right? Like it used to be barefoot, then it was maximal. Now it's going to be soft. We'll see if there's yeah. a swing. In another well, I, I think right now, uh, you know, it, it is in the time that I've been in it, we've gone from minimal to maximal to uh, knits to environmentally sound to, uh, you know, plates everybody's getting a plate now <laughs> you know yeah. you know you get yeah. plates yeah. across the board um but you know it's it's in, interesting because you said that france gave you the feedback that stability was still something important for the brand to have in the category like the probably in the stores when you're trying to do selling they're like hey we need if we're going to put your shoes on the shelf we need to be able to have everybody in this category so you say okay stability which used to mean medial posting you know and, and a very plasticky heel cup um or a rigid heel cup to kind of lock that back of the foot in and you are the plm so you've got to write a brief yeah and so where do you start with something like that do you just say okay we want a stability issue and they're like let's try guide rails instead of uh you know medial posting like how do, how does that decision happen yeah this is honestly a perfect microcosm a little bit of our process because um, if I'm, if memory serves me right. So we actually partnered with the university of Massachusetts, um, you know, about a newcomer that was the lead author on the 94% paper. Um, it's someone that we, we have, you know, a contract with and regularly kind of go to for advice, I would say. Um, so I, I worked with him and his research assistants and said, Hey, give me all of the research around stability. Like, what do we know? What do we not know? What's proven out? What's not. Um, and the, the result of that was kind of learning. Stability shoes don't 
it make people be injured less, right? Like the injury rate, whatever, it's been 20 to 30% since the 70s, and it's <laughs> never gone down. Um, you know, so there is this thing called pronation, and people think or, or know that they want support in certain ways. Um, but the problem with the old traditional kind of medial post was you don't know where someone's pronating, and, and you can't necessarily – stop it to make sure that their knee is going to be aligned. So what we did specifically with, with lung guide was actually to say, how do we make this more relevant for a wider consumer base? <clears throat> so our, um, we do have a, a slightly firmer density rim, but it actually goes all the way around, which says two things. One, if someone is over pronating and you don't know where that's okay. Cause we've got it the full length, right? We're going to give you that support wherever you want it. And then two, we actually expanded on the range of consumers. I, for instance, happen to be a, a really, really extreme supinator on one foot. We actually have that run guide on the lateral side as well. So we designed a shoe that's going to have a bunch of nitro under your foot, really work for people with all different foot strikes. Um, you know, but again, leaning on that research and trying to think from a PLM perspective, like what is the business objective? How do we sp- expand our consumer range? Um, and I think in the result, you know, we have a shoe that looks great for a lot of people. What's interesting about that is you talk about designing a shoe and you say, we don't know where this person's going to land or that person's going to land. And I do think someday in the future, I don't know how it's going to get there. It's kind of like a singularity, but um, you know, once we get there, I won't be able to figure out how the world works without it. Uh, but one of these yeah. days it is going to be customized to the person and fit towards the person. Is that anything that's even on the radar at this point? Or is it like, is that so far out in the, the spectrum that, you know, I'm, I'm thinking nonsense. I almost want to defer, but, um, you know, I, it's something that, that Puma's working on. It's something that a lot of other brands are working on the concept of customized footwear. My, my personal belief, and I, I know this having worked retail, um, you know, at a, at a couple of run specialty stores in, in Michigan and in St. Louis, um, like to feel something under their foot to decide if it's good or not. And stores will never go away because people want to go in and they want to put it on. They want to pick it out. They want to design. Even if you, even if Tom's like, I say to you, Hey, you get to design your own shoe from scratch and pick all the materials and all the construction. And if I could actually do that for you and then it showed up at your door one day, I seriously question if you would even like it. Um, maybe you, that's, that's the old, that's the old, uh, Henry Ford thing. If you had asked people what they wanted, they wanted a faster horse. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, well said. Yeah, so and I do agree. You know, I do. Uh, I I would have. There's been certain things in innovation, and even in the shoes that I would never have been able to predict it. And I love once they're here, and you know, we see, I we see, geez, shoes from every diff, different brand, and every <laughs> once in a while we're still shocked and surprised. Uh, so it is. It it's fun for us. It keeps us in the game and keeps us excited about products and what's what's happening and one of them is this new foam that we are using in a lot of shoes which is the infused uh, nitrogen infused foams and there's a couple different ways you can go tpu or you can go eva right in the in the uh, foams and which one is in the nitro yeah good question and and just to kind of close the book on that that previous comment you made as well um you know the whole goal of being a plm is to have that crystal ball is to figure out and guess based on feedback, but also to anticipate what runners will want before maybe they even know. Um, and I promise you in 2022, we're going to have all. 
Uh, see, you keep teasing. You keep teasing 2022. How soon are we getting those on I'm, feet? I'll, I'll stop teasing it, but uh, you know, as a PLM, I'm honestly I'm working in 2023 and yeah. 2024 as well. I just think so that's so hard uh, too because as somebody, you know, I do I do design and I paint and all that stuff. I went to art school, and I was yeah. always. You know, every once in a while, I was like, okay, that was a great painting. And, and I put that last stroke on it, and I'm like, that done. And I know it's done. There's some that you yeah. finish, and you're like, uh, it may, I, I know I could probably have done that a little bit better, but I'm done working on it. It's got to get out to market or whatever. And, and yeah. I'm thinking that, you know, when I, I think it would be so hard to be in your position where I'm working on 2023, and I'm like, this is rad. We fixed a problem that I knew was in this one. But that one's it's out of the gate. It's the barn, the hay. What do they say? The hay is in the in the yeah, barn. Yeah, the hay is in, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, the, it, cow, the cows are in the barn. That's what my family says. We're dairy farmers. Yeah. Grew up, but, okay, know. there you go. And you're you're yeah. and so right now you've got a lineup that you were really excited about and came out in two. I guess what year are we now? 2020 came out was a big year for Puma coming back in. Had a full lineup of shoes, pretty much across the board. Reviewers and runners. We're pretty excited and accepting of that line. Now you're coming in, and I can already tell you're excited about 2022. We're in 2021. Is 2021 sort of that year we see from shoe companies where it's tweaks on stuff that's available? And then 2022, we get to see kind of like the stuff that we learned and the feedback we got. Here's here's what's happening. Yeah, I mean, for, for Puma, there was a lot of, of research that needed to be done um, to, to make the new line as good as it is. And I'm I'm still always patiently, like, waiting, like, oh, you know, when's that terrible review going to come? <laughs> when's somebody gonna, you, you didn't make a good stew. Um, but we the whole team has been just stoked at how positive the feedback has been. But it's, it's hard. You know, we started with Nitro because there have been so many advancements in terms of foams. Um, that we really wanted to have a statement technology that could be in every shoe in our line. Um, you know, and it is a super critical phone that's in every shoe, which, you know, I next to no other brand I think is doing something like that. Um, but, but starting with new last, new phone, new materials, new plates, new run guides, like all of that technology um, was a lot just to put in like a pretty tight collection at the start. Um, so, you know, we wanted to make shoes that, you know, a lot of times I said to myself, like, hey, let's just not screw it up, you know, like, let's just make things that people like. And then when we have a little bit more time, we'll, we'll invest and then, you know, have some more advanced concepts. Um, but there's, to your point, we call it go to market, right? There's a point in the process where you're, you know, we could noodle with something forever and always make it a little bit better and never come to market with anything. And there's a point where we have to say, okay, this is, you know, when, when orders are going to be placed and this is when we want to plan the marketing and all the other pieces because, you know, product, we don't live in isolation. Right. So anyway, um, yeah, I think that's, that's been a big part of it is, is thinking through the whole thing and, and, and doing, you know, the right amount of the beginning and then building upon it in the future. Yeah. So let's, let's get back to the nitro, which is in every, yeah. Happy to. So, so you mentioned, you mentioned EVA and TPU, um, so I, I think, you know, a lot of shoes traditionally have been EDA and then some newer ones have, have used TPU. Um, you know, in, when it comes to TPs, thermoplastics, there's a million different versions of it. Um, we're using, you know, Nitro is actually from the TPEE um, raw material family, which is a different type of, of, a, of a plastic and it allows us to get, you know, that smooth texture. So um, if I saw TPEE, if I saw it's TPEE, 
If yeah. I saw it in its raw form, what does it look like? It doesn't look any different than any other raw material plastic. It's just like little baby um, beads, almost like BB gun pellet. Okay, so it comes in this like BB gun pellet form. Yep. We smash it into uh -huh. into a uh, tiny puck, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Supercritical process. I mean, we, we start with about a, a four inch shoe, three to four inch like hard plastic material. And because our, our raw materials are a little bit more pure, um, it's, it's higher grade and that's, you know, kind of where the goodness comes from. And, and we put it in these really cool, um, almost like an autoclave, like a superheated chamber and it blows up almost like a, a kernel of popcorn, right? And it gets oh, wow. kind of really big, or oversized and shaped. Um, and that's actually where the nitro part comes from, right? Like we're using supercritical nitrogen. And I, one thing I, I've been wanting to connect with you on for a long time is, you know, people talk about nitro foams and they talk about, you know, TPU foams, they talk about PBACs and other foams. You know, for us, nitrogen is, is just the process, right? Like our raw material being better and the difference of that really allows us to, um, to expand on nitro in the future. So using both a better raw material and a better process gives us the best result. All right. And obviously Puma putting it in every shoe, you guys believe this is probably the premier midsole material to give runners the best running experience. Yeah, definitely. And and it's um it's a big investment. It's it's more expensive than anything that we've used before and that's okay. Um we you know we want runners to really feel that ride and feel the difference. And you know if you eat a, a meal made with good ingredients, you can tell that it's good, right? That's yeah. uh, that's how our what are some of the limitations of that using this material that you guys have to figure out ways to work around? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, there's between five and 10 different factors that you have to consider when you're making a foam, um, you know, rebound, compression set, uh, you know, specific gravity, density, hardness. Um, and oh, by the way, cost is one of those as well, right? So some of these new super, super critical foams um, don't bond quite as well. Um, and, and aren't always as good when it comes to like, if you put the foam right on the ground, it may abrade a little bit more quickly. So if you look at some of our shoes, we'll use more rubber coverage in some place, some places we have an EVA layer to kind of mix with the nitro. Um, but then on a, on a shoe like a race day shoe where, you know, durability and long-term isn't, isn't as much of a concern. That's where we put like the most nitro in that we can. All right. Next check-in. Coming back to reality, are you sure you should be worried about your workout or your next upcoming race? Is the things that you're worried about realities or are you making up scenarios in your head? So just check and see if what you're worried about is actually worth worrying about or if you just need to show up on the line prepared and give your best. We've covered pretty much what you're doing as a PLM and some of the things that's going on with Puma, but like for people who love shoes like we do and, and love this stuff and maybe a, a younger listener, how would they possibly get involved in the shoe process or get to a point where you are in your career? Like, how does that, what does that path look like? Yeah, totally. I, I think for me, I knew that I, I love sports and I love being outdoors and, and kind of love business. Um, you know, the path that I took was getting my economics degree undergrad and, and doing a couple internships. In fact, my first ever internship was unpaid in Boston with Saucony um, a lot of years ago. And, you know, getting that foot in the door as a first step is, uh, is, is a good, um, you know, it's a good first step, I would say. And 
for me, I, I kept kind of going to school, um, finished my undergrad, got an MBA as well. So I knew I kind of wanted to go maybe the corporate route um, in the business route. But most of that time I was working retail. Um, I was getting in touch with consumers. I was learning about the market. I was learning about those trends. And there's, you know, there's really no substitute for retail. You see people coming in every day. You learn about, you know, because every, every PLM is talking to the tech reps who's talking to the associates, right? You get all the info straight from, um, from the horse's mouth or from, you know, a really, really close touch point. And then for me, I went from, from retail to managing a store to being a tech rep. Um, tech rep is a great, great step towards being a PLM. Um, but I would say PLMs can come from pretty much anywhere as well is, is the trick. Um, so it's, it's definitely a difficult, uh, difficult line of work to get your foot into. Um, but I would say having a passion for product, um, you know, and, and really just being persistent and, and, and learning about the industry, but also being a part of the community, right? Like at Puma, we're a running brand and we've been surrounding ourselves with runners. In fact, we just hired, um, a, you know, a, a fast, fast runner and a, a great guy named Connor from a retail store in Boston. Um, who had a great kind of background. And I would say he was a, a good example of someone that, you know, worked retail, was managing a couple stores, really understood the product, and then was in a great position to be brought into corporate to learn about the business systems and to learn about kind of global distribution. Um, but it's it's not an easy career path to get going on. Yeah, I also think it's a little different than people would imagine. Like I would imagine I just get to pick out what kind of shoes that people want to wear and tell somebody to design them, which sounds like, You've got to have a lot more background in finances and understanding the process of development and staying on budget and, uh, you know, some of the technical and detail oriented skills that maybe a creative doesn't necessarily have. So like if you're into making a shoe, maybe you wouldn't want to be a PLM if you're into designing shoes because you, you, it's a different skill set. It's definitely a different skill set. It's, it's definitely more business oriented. Um, you know, a lot of numbers and a lot of, uh, you know, the non-glorious is the PowerPoint slides, right. And all the communication to the region. Um, but I would say, you know, the number one skill of being a PLM, as I started with is, is still being that hub is still being able to work with the different departments and, you know, design, you know, giving feedback and working with them on, on their process you know, development, hey, where are we on, on cost and on schedule? Are we following through? Um, you know, marketing, what do you guys need? What assets, what photo shoots, you know, what athletes? Like really just kind of for me being like an expert in the space, I think is um, is, is a, the best start that you can get. And then so many of the specifics, the you know, the business systems and all that, most people can learn that once they get on the job. Um, but it's, it's, it's not easy. There are starting to be more and more um, programs. For instance, I was in Utah. I know that Utah State has, a, um, uh, an actual program uh, for people that want to learn about like the footwear and the apparel industry and the sports industry. Um, but there, there aren't a lot of it. And so that's where, for me personally, it was like, keep knocking on all the doors, just yeah. keep going. Persistent. You want to do an unpaid internship or do what you have to do um, to get a foot in and then just keep building. I guess the, the follow-up question to that would be, so if you weren't a PLM for Puma, and you could choose any career path or do anything that you wanted to do, what what would you do? A professional runner. I, I always <laughs> wanted to be a professional runner. I mean, I know, you know, people like Molly in fourth grade wrote it on their card, and for every person like her that, you know, said I want to be an Olympian, and then she actually gets to be, there's probably a couple thousand people like me that are like, oh, I, I wanted to do X, but I didn't get there. Um, you know, I, I ran, uh, I went to Division three school, Elvin College in Michigan, you know, we made nationals. I broke four minutes in the 1500. Like 
I did some fun and cute things. Um, but you know, you're, you're not going pro with that. Right. And so for me, um, working in the industry has been just the way to continue to stay involved and, and to really follow up in my passion. And, you know, now I do some longer races, um, you know, marathons and even some JFK. ultra. Where, <laughs> what's that? I said the JFK. Yeah, yeah, exactly. JFK. And actually I'm doing a, doing a race called burning river 50 next week. Okay. Um, in DC, which I'm pretty excited about, but yeah, I still get to be involved in the sport and, and, you know, have those connections with the community, which is, which is awesome. Well, I would think that you do have access to athletes like, like, uh, Molly and, and some of the other Puma athletes. Does it sort of feel like you get to be a pro runner? Cause you're hanging out with these guys doing easy, easy runs with them, I guess. And I, I don't know if I could do what they do. Um, the number of miles and the dedication to the sport is, is really, really next level. I feel good running about half what they do. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's always fun learning, you know, look, when somebody's running two to three miles a day versus somebody that's running 10 miles a day, like there are things that come up when you're doing longer runs, you're more likely to get blisters or have some issues. And so we definitely work really closely with our athletes across the board to get product feedback. That's awesome. And, uh, the second question I would have is, so you're finishing, JFK, you're finishing Burning River and you, you're done and you're going to celebrate now. What's on the plate and what's in the glass? Oh, man. Um, apologies to the world of running. I'm not a beer guy. Um, I like to, my, my, my go to is actually, um, and, and I'm going to get judgments, but it's real. I go to Starbucks, I get like a quad shot, venti, iced caramel macchiato, get the caramel <laughs> drizzle, chocolate dribble. Get the, uh, get the whipped cream, get Holy the cinnamon. Cow. Like, it's like a, I don't know, I'm probably exaggerating. It's not like a 1200 calorie. It like, might coffee. be. The only, the only reason I, uh, that one freaks me out is because it, it's kind of funny. Like after a race, I've had all those goos or the Martins and it's just sugar, sugar, sugar. And then I'm like ready for like, you know, a, an acid or, or something a little salty or something like that. So like, I'm sure. saying you probably just can't get enough goo. <laughs> Well, actually, it's the other way around. I, I have to, if I only do sugars, I'll have a huge bonk mid-race. Okay. So I do have to a few gels, but then a few more carb-based things or like, you know, bar-type things. Um, and, and when I'm doing like 50s or 100s, actually avocado is like oh, wow. one of my go It's like silky smooth, but it also is more of like a base versus a sweet. So, yeah, uh, yeah you know, different tips. But. That's awesome. And, uh, okay, favorite Puma shoe for you to run in. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, outside of the outside of the prototypes that I've been testing, I mean, Deviate Elite for me really is just so stinking smooth. Um, you know, the, the plate is there, but it doesn't feel intrusive. I can run slow in it. I can run fast in it. It's ridiculously lightweight, which I'm, I don't like heavy shoes. Like, I personally don't like running in anything over like eight, eight and a half ounces at all. What size um, foot are you? I know. Uh, I'm about 11, 11 and a half. Oh, wow. That's hard to find yeah. a shoe under eight and a half ounces for a size 11, 11 and a half. And I'm also a little bit meeting sample size or whatever. But, right. uh, but just, you know, I think like I've forever, I've been like, why do we have to have heavy shoes? Like, why does that have to be a thing? And I think with Nitro Foam, you know, we put that in everything to keep all of our shoes, you know, initially like velocity people are like, oh, is this a lightweight trainer? It's like, no, it's a fully like cushioned functional trainer. Um, it's just really lightweight because we think that the world's getting lighter. Yeah. 
All right. Awesome. I, I am thinking that uh, we pretty much covered anything unless there's something you want to want to go over or, you know, if you want to spill the tea on something that's going on at Puma, feel free. No, no tea spilling. I, uh, I, I did have kind of a question for you, yeah. you know, because you try and test all the shoes. If you had a chance to put on that hat and play PLM for a second, um, you know, what, what new shoe would you design or is there a model in the Puma lineup that you would say, you know, oh yeah, I would, I need to modify this shoe and I would change it like this. Well, I think, you know, one of my favorite things and we, we've talked about this before is when Puma came out this round and why I think it got, uh, the response it did from the running public or the people who are getting the shoes, um, you guys kind of had a really nice answer to every segment on the wall. So we had liberate, which was nice, fast, lightweight, just, you got a little bit of ground feel, but not too much really fun shoe to run in. You know, if you don't want a plate and you want to run fast, that shoe does it. You go up to the deviate and you had, you know, you get a plate, it's squishy. You can do daily miles in it. The liberate I thought was a, a really nice, um, uh, shoe from you guys as far as just a daily trainer. And that one's probably one I recommended the most from the Puma line, just cause I feel like yeah. that one's the most palatable to the most runners. Like it's lightweight. It, has enough cushioning for the daily run and all that. I guess where I get most excited is the lightweight stuff and where I'm finding the most enjoyment in my run is when I have adequate cushioning in a lightweight shoe. So, uh, you know, some of the shoes that get me excited, uh, you know, I, I probably put, I probably put the, uh, what, what was the first one I was saying? The, the, well, liberate, you said first and then, yeah. Yeah. The liberate uh, the, that's kind of like where my sweet spot is as far as like, uh, we just, I just finished up the Rincon three review. feel like that's kind of oh, yeah. simple foam bottom top that goes into the beacon from new balance, uh, Nova blast from, uh, ASICs. I find myself leaning towards that category of simple foam, bottom, lightweight, upper, just very runnable. So that's, that's, probably, yeah, yeah. that's, that's probably my favorite where I think I want a shoe that we're, we're having, I think I want the bounce that I get out of the alpha fly, uh, in, mm -hmm. in a racer, but maybe a lower profile. And I don't know if that's possible. Like, so if I was a PLM and it's like, I want the bounce off the toe with the nice cushion, but maybe not the stack. Like if, the, if you could do that without being six foot eight, then I would, you know, I, I'd be happy with that. I don't know if that technology yeah. is out there yet though. Well, and honestly, I've had similar dreams to that as well, but that's again, um, one of those issues where you need a certain amount of foam, like above and below the plate and some other things. Otherwise you get different types of uncomfortable things. And, and I, I have that same dream. Um, you know, it, it would definitely be a challenge to manufacture or something that we're, we're kind of looking into that section. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great category. I agree. Yeah. The, the problem that I find is like you said, if I design my own shoe, you wonder if I'd like it. I really like a high toe spring. So I like it when it comes off and rolls off the toe really quickly, but then I also yeah. want to bounce off right be, before that. I want to feel a bounce <laughs> off of that. So <laughs> You yeah, know, I basically want a little trampoline right underneath the palm of my foot. And then I want the shoe to disappear through the stride. So I could probably run yeah. on a shoe that had no, uh, no heel on it at all. But yeah. 
Well, we'll, uh, we'll run that brief by developers. <laughs> Thank you. They have it. They'll say, no, nah, yeah. we, can't, we can't do that for this, this reason, but we can do this. It's, you know, again, at the end of the day, like product development, we're all one big team. Um, everybody brings different expertise and different different specialties. And, you know, certainly none of us could do it alone. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm lucky I get to talk to you. But, you know, I just want to give a shout out to, to, to Asia, to design, to development, yeah. um, my PLM cohorts that, you know, help me and keep me sane. Um, to everyone at Puma that, that has worked so, so hard on this, uh, this relaunch. And we just feel so good about not only where we are right now, but are excited about the future. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's almost like, I, yeah, I, I would, I would just add one, one last thing. Like most of the time for me, it's taking pieces from various shoe lines from different companies and mashing them together and Frankie Steiner yeah. that rather than, you know, having one, one answer for you there, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think you guys are on the right track. I, you know, I'm curious to see the new product. It is kind of like, uh, okay, you you wowed us. You came out. We weren't expecting anything, so the the bar was really low for Puma to do do well. Now <laughs> I feel like I got I got a bar up for you guys, and I got to see. Okay, is this raise raise the bar? We're yeah. I was gonna say raise the bar. We're ready. Um, you know, the shoes velocity deviate, eternity liberate that people and deviate elite that people are really liking. Those are going to stay consistent. Yeah. Um, you know, we're uh, we're not going to mess those up too much. I mean, we can make something a little a little softer, a little better fit. We will. And I think I was thinking of the velocity when I was saying. Uh, you probably. It, were. I was thinking of the velocity, not the liberate. When I was saying I, that, just a simple foam underneath has yeah. good rubber contact with the Puma grip. Nice simple upper, like that. That seems to be my favorite category of of running shoe. Like they keep it simple. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, and in, in beginning of 2022, this one I can leak. We do have a velocity too. Um, it got a little bit lighter, it got a little bit better fit, but it's still the same great Puma grip, you know, still same great cushion. So, uh, you can look forward to that one coming awesome. soon. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate it, Todd. I hope you had fun. Uh, I'm sure our listeners are going to learn a lot about PLMs because I don't think anybody knows. Like, we come on, and I know that you know Danny from New Balance and stuff like that, and we've talked to him in the past. And I think that there is some confusion that a PLM doesn't necessarily design shoes, but it maybe sets the target of how the shoe should be designed or what the end product should achieve. So, yeah, and and all that only comes from consumers, right? Like it comes from consumers and retailers, what they're hearing and what people want. Um, and and we we gather all that info again from from salespeople, from uh, from retailers, from everyone we kind of take all that info in and then, you know, kind of figure out what we keep hearing on a repeated basis and then, and then set that strategic direction of delivering against it. Um, I, I love it. I absolutely love being a PLM. Like there's, there's nothing I would rather do. All right. Last check-in again, we're going to talk about reframing. So try to shift anxiety to it. Excitement. So you're getting ready for the race the night before and you're starting to panic about all the things that could go wrong or all the performance anxiety. Can you hit your paces? Can you do the things? Maybe take a step back, like we talked about in the beginning, change your perspective, take a look at what's going to happen and just realize that you can only show up prepared to the line and then be excited to get the chance to show off your fitness. So that's it. Have a great week. All right, so I hope you enjoyed listening to Todd from Puma, and we're going to run down some thank yous here. First off, we want to thank our producer, Nick, 
for editing this up and cutting out all the stuff that you didn't need to hear. <laughs> and then uh, obviously, Meg. Wait, one more thing. I should say stick around for next week's episode because it's going to be a special episode, episode 50. Oh, yeah. I'm excited yeah. about it. We're, um, or should we tell? Yeah, them? yeah, sure. We're basically taking some really good highlights and tips uh, specifically about marathoning and just running in general from all of our previous guests and putting it into one episode. So it should be pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, thanks to Nick for editing that up <laughs> <laughs> in advance. Yeah. And uh, we have people who have told us that they've listened all the way to the end so our new feature is to say hi to people that listen all the way to the end so if you're listening all the way to this part just shoot us a text or a dm and let us know that you listened all the way to the end and you'll get a shout out so this week's shout outs go to run and n chelsea rose joe hunt and sweet scotty b richard noakes sean millich and zach bartram so thanks for listening all the way and always our favorite all the way listener meg Mom. Yeah. Hi, Robin. Hi, Mom. <laughs> so, and I'm not sure. My mom said she listened to <laughs> Timothy Olsen, but I was like, did you listen all the way to the end of the podcast? And she just did the kissy face emoji. Uh, yeah, so I'm did. not sure if she listened no all the way. Yeah. yeah. So just know. in case if you did, Mom. Hi, Mom. <laughs> but otherwise, um, yeah, you didn't listen all the way in. You never hear this. Um, all right. So that's it for this week. I hope you have a great week. Enjoy your running. Next week, we'll let you know how we did in Falmouth.